0: Hello team and welcome to episode 390 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sergio Nazaro for the second time. In episode 368, Sergio and I did a deep dive on his story and discussed how to be a high performer in all the important areas in your life. The first episode was such a success that we decided to do a round two and this one is also up on YouTube for those who want to see the action on video. In this episode, you can expect to learn how Sergio is navigating a major change in his career, how you can keep all the plates spinning in your life and progress from good to great, along with why Sergio and his fiance called off their engagement, but are now happily married with their first child. So without further ado, Sergio Nazaro. Sergio Zara, welcome back to the show
1: what's up man it's good to see you again thanks for having me back
0: yeah it's great to have you too you were just so good the first time around we had to get you back on and obviously we also know that the video didn't record last time but for those who absorbed the audio they had a great time listening And I wanted to get an opportunity to dive deeper on things to bring people the audio and visual side of things this time around so I'm excited to get into it so what have you been up to since we last spoke
1: dude quite a bit Right. So there's been this this evolution of where I've been trying to go and really kind of this decision that I've been in the in the midst of and really going all in on my coaching business that become the standard and managing my real estate company as well, my real estate business. And so there's been a lot of self-reflection, a lot of exploration and a lot of hard conversations I've had to have with myself that I'm continuing to have with myself right now about where do I want to go and what is the opportunity in front of me? Um, that I'm willing to step into.
0: Yeah, dude, I think that's really inspiring to see you go through those challenges as well. I know that when I've been reading your posts, you touched on having insecurity, you know, having some doubts here and there as well, which, you know, on the surface, when you look at you, we probably wouldn't have you know, expected that maybe some years ago when you were going through, you know, certain revelations and evolutions in your life. But right now, it's not something I was expecting to hear. So what does that look like in terms of feeling the pressure of building a coaching business, realizing it was maybe way harder than you thought it was? What does that forced you to do in terms of having those tough conversations? What have they sounded like and what have they look like?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest, you know, one of the hardest conversations is really, you know, as I reflect back on going from, Nothing, right? $24,000 a year, $12,000 in credit card debt to simply becoming an entrepreneur. Like I had nothing to lose and that was easy, right? Like at the time it felt really hard, but as I look back, it's like, well, I had only one direction to go and it was up. And now I find myself in a position where. You know, in real estate, right? Having been a real estate agent over the last five and a half years, like I've created a lot of momentum. I've created a really great business. And while it's helped me get to the spot where I'm at right now, it's not my calling and it's not what I've been placed on this earth to do. Like I know I'm a coach. I'm a coach at heart. Not only do I coach, I am a coach. And so following that and knowing that I, you know, I am trying to get this coaching company up and going, it's really about can I let go of good to go after great? Because everything I have right now is really, really good. But I know that there is something that is even greater than what I have right now, you know, from a fulfillment standpoint, from a monetary standpoint, all of it. And so it's been this, okay, well, let me step into what I know that I've been placed to do. And yet, as I'm doing that, I'm like, shit, this is uh, a little harder than I expected. And what's really difficult about it is the fact that I have so much to lose, or at least that's how I perceive it.
0: We'll be stepping away from your real estate stuff, or will you be continuing to do that?
1: So I'm going to have that. Um, I'm going to be running that. I have a a team that's going to be taking over. I'm just not going to be at the forefront of it anymore. So uh, there's certain clients that I'll still work with.
0: Yeah. My question there is what do you have to lose if you're going to still be running the real estate agent side of things? Yeah. I actually, I, I got into a journal this morning
1: about that. And, uh, I think it's very ego driven. I think it, it's my ego saying that, you know, the real estate market here in the United States has become difficult as interest rates have started to rise. And because right, the real estate market is, is difficult. I'm afraid that people seeing me start a coaching company is me actually just waving the white flag being like hey I give up. And on top of that, right? Like the income in real estate for me, it's easy to make because I'm good at it. But that's a handcuff. It's easy to stay in this game and continue to make that level of money, but at the end of the day, is that really what I want to do? And so it's all just a prison that I've placed myself inside. And the, the really the reality is it's not even a prison. I just have to turn to the left and walk out because there's no other walls i just think there's a wall in front of me and so that's been the difficulty of it all right now Is like this mental battle that i'm playing with
0: myself yeah because when i look at it from a third person perspective when it's always easier to look at someone else's situation right it's like you know you're going to still have the finances coming through i'm sure you've put away some and you've put it into other areas as well you have the success within that career no one's going to look at a five-year career and building a business as anything of you waving the right white flag so i'm like okay well but what, what, what is there to lose you know if you're just kind of turning that chapter onto the next step what is going to be the thing that you're going to miss out on but as you mentioned there's a lot attached in terms of you being that guy that guy that people go to that people who've seen succeed in that area for five years or so so now you have to make a transition to kind of you're already a coach and you said that's an innate calling, but you don't have an established coaching business yet. So I can see it's kind of like going from something you're almost an elite at and you've done extremely well at to kind of going back to ground zero. Even if your capabilities are there, the kind of recognition you're getting within that industry isn't quite there and it doesn't match up. So there's probably that big gap between the two right now, right? And that And that's another huge
1: part, right? Is I am the go-to person when it comes time to buy or sell your home. Like I know I'm at the top of my game. And I know that in within my coaching calling, like I have a lot of raw talent, a raw a lot of raw skill set, and I'm able to have some transformation in people's lives. But in order to get that message out to the larger group and attract the clients that I need to create the income and the lifestyle that I want, there's a price to pay. And that price is time and patience and consistency and work. But that pay that is also the price to pay is the price of me letting go of every single thing that i know to go after what i want
0: and what drives you to do that i know that you mentioned that innate calling but i know so many people who say i was destined to be an artist i was destined to be a musician i was destined to be x y or z but they stayed with the comfortable they stayed with the thing that made them money that got them prestige that gave them their reputation and i think that as you mentioned it's like you said before It's not easy, but when you have nothing to lose and you're literally going from rock bottom to something, you know, there's utility to traveling that path. It makes sense to people, but to let go of something that's not just good, but very good, especially in a lot of people's eyes to go to great. What is pushing you to go up to that level in terms of the calling that you have within you? I think there's, there's a few things there. One is that
1: I know in my heart of hearts that that's what I'm put on this earth to do. And I feel like it's a slap. In the face to God, I believe in God. It's a slap in the face of the God and to the universe that somebody has given me a gift. I'm not going to step into it. That weighs heavy on my heart. There's two other things that are more external motivators. One is the fact that I want to live a life that the way I live it, the way I live is the way I lead. And so when people look at me, they're like, okay, this guy's willing to do it. And I hope that creates some internal reflection being like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But I think the biggest external motivator is I have a son, Luca, right? He's 13 months old. And at some point in his life, he's going to come up to me and he's going to be like, Dad, I want to do this thing. And I'm going to have a decision at that point. I'm going to have either the, I'm either going to be the man that went after what he said he was going to go to. And I can then look at my son and be like, Hey, listen, go after your dreams, right? It, it may work out. It may not, but you don't want to have any regrets. But if I've never done that myself and I look at him and I tell him to do that, My fear is that he's going to look back and be like, well, how come you didn't do it then? And to me, that's enough for me to be like, all right. Well, it's my
0: calling and it's my time and I don't want to have to have that conversation here in a few years with him. So I better get my fucking shit together. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. And are you okay with the idea of failure or are you someone who goes down the mindset of, say, failure isn't going to be an option here. Like, I, there's only win or win, or there's going to be some ups and downs along the way. But do you see failure as an option? Being, like, maybe I'm going to give this coaching thing good three, five years, and if it doesn't work out, I'm going to, you know, potentially go back to real estate or I'm going to try something different or is it something that you're going to be committed to and dedicated to, to make sure that it works. Like my girlfriend has a saying in Spanish, it's like CLC yes or yes, it has to happen, you know? Uh, so is that kind of the mindset you're going at this with? Or are you okay with the idea of failure? I'm okay with like hard
1: times along the way. I just don't believe I'll fail. Like there's no, they're, they're without a doubt. Like I can feel it in my soul that this is not going to fail. Now, I know there's going to be tough, tough times along the way, but like the the confidence and the, the I would say, security that I have myself knowing that it'll work out. Now, on what timeline? That's always going to be the disconnect for me, right? It's like the timeline that it's going to happen. But I know what's going to happen. And so I've always kind of been of the frame of mind. And this is where I'm also struggling, Elliot, is like this, this burn the boats concept. It's like, do I have to go all in on this in order for it to work for me? And I struggle with that. Like I struggle with like is that the only way to do this, or are there other ways to do it? So when I think about the real estate thing, it's like, well, I don't have to burn it to the ground, right? I don't have to just burn the boats, but I have to maybe burn my connection as the front as the front runner in this, and so when I think about this like i'm not I'm not concerned about failure at this at all now I don't want to fail. I don't think anybody's like, Oh, I love failure. It means I'm getting closer to my wins. It's like, you're full of shit. Like you don't actually like it. You can say you like it, but you don't like it, right? We all want to win. And so I believe that with my, my dedication and discipline and skill, raw skill sets that I have, and then just like this faith that
0: I'm, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like the cards are stacked in my favor. A hundred percent, man. And speaking of obviously your coaching on becoming the standard and I don't think that we put a definition on that phrase the last time we spoke and when I think of becoming the standard as well I'm not sure why but there's a ton of men who gravitate towards that kind of language that type of narrative and I'm curious I've got two questions here the first is what does becoming the standard really mean and the second is Are you inviting women into that world as well? And why do you not feel that they're so attracted to the narrative compared to the way that men are drawn towards the becoming the standard mentality? So I think become the standard, right? Just to kind of like set that and what that means is that
1: speak for myself. When somebody looks at my health and fitness, when somebody looks at how knowing I am of who I am and my connection with myself, when somebody looks at my marriage and my family, and when somebody looks at my business, I am the standard for what they want to create. I have become the standard. I've no longer set it. I have become it. And if I can become the standard in my life, then I want somebody to become the standard in their life so that the people in their family, the people in their community, the people in their city can look at them and be like, that's the standard of what this should look like. I want to become that. And now this just becomes a movement where people are constantly elevating and becoming the standard for themselves. And in doing that, you change an entire city, you change an entire state, you can change an entire country. And so it's simply about becoming the best version of you and that becomes the standard. Now, that is very attractive to men because we are called to be leaders. And masculinity is in this very interesting spot right now where it's taking on a new definition, like the traditional masculine values, which I don't think all are bad. or And I don't even want to say they're under attack, but I think a lot of people are just being like, well, they're not longer no longer applicable to where we are. And the reality is they are, right? But some of them do need to be redefined. And so I think men are called to this because we are called to be leaders in our own way. And I don't know that women aren't called to this. I think it's just a different packaging, right? So it's like as women who are on the rise, which I fucking love, right? And I, and I support because I think a man who's on the rise and a woman's on the rise, they can support each other more than they could combat one another. And so women that are on the rise, like you become the standard for other women. You show them what is possible, right? Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a single mother or you're a full-time worker and you don't have kids and you're just Aunt Karina hanging out. Like be the standard for that. And so I think it's really about like speaking to that. And so I have women and I have men in my program and they both complement each other very well because the men get to hear from other men, but they also get to hear from women. And then women can provide their perspective and then also hear how other men are thinking. And it's this really interesting cohort of people that are working together.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I find that the men who don't want the woman to become the standard are the men who are not becoming the standard, right? It's like the people who have issues with woman climbing the ladder are the people who feel the insufficiency when they look around and they start looking in the mirror at themselves, right? And that's always been my challenge with this anti-female pro-men movement is that there's a lot of value to it in the sense of the brotherhood and all these types of things that you talk about but then there's the other side of it that's not pro-men it's just anti-woman and you find that the people there are just those people who are not looking to take themselves to that next level it's like well i'm have an issue with her earning a hundred thousand dollars per year because i'm earning 60 you know and i don't see how to fill that gap and then it becomes you know a hatred on woman versus actually how do i get myself better and i start to reflect on people so i think that's A big challenge with the masculinity and the the man space as well at this moment in time. But I love the idea that you had in the sense of like, if you're going to be a woman, you're becoming the standard. It's like that communication of everyone up leveling. I can't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. And listen, I want to be very clear. I'm anti uh,
1: man, man who are against women. I'm anti women who are against men. I agree. Yeah. Right. So like the feminist movement who are like, well, we don't need men. It's like, go fuck yourself. You do. You actually do need us. You do need us. And the guys are like, well, we don't need women because we're superior. It's like, go fuck yourself because you need them as well. We do. Like we are all moving together and that's what's creating such like – such conflict and such issues, especially here in the U S it's like, not only are we combating on like race and political views, but now we're combating on sex. Like we can't fucking agree on anything over here. So like my whole thing is like, let's get together and let's start to elevate this one person at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time. And it
0: has to be done from both sexes. I couldn't agree more. And breaking it down from a bit of a blueprint standpoint, when it comes to becoming the stand standard i think the first thing would probably be defining what that looks like for you what is the kind of key steps that you need to understand like when it comes to like my work when it's a fat loss journey we kind of reverse engineer from the very end you know we get to the person where they're in shape in the shape of their lives and they're able to maintain it as well then we work backwards from there what does that look like from a reverse engineering standpoint when it comes to becoming the standard in all areas
1: yeah it's 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 really kind of three parts first we have to we have to identify your current truth the facts of where you are at today across all four domains in your body, right? In your health and fitness, in your connection with yourself and your creator, right? In your relationships and then in your in your business or in your career. Like we have to ground ourselves in the facts of today. And a lot of times those facts look like a pit, a pit of despair. Because when we're honest about ourselves, right, and we don't want to look in the mirror because we're looking a little fat or we're not doing what we need to do in our business because we're just being lazy or our relationships are suffering, if one area is suffering, they're all going to suffer. And so that's where we start, right? We got to get the foundational facts of where we're at today. And then we start to paint like, well, well what is possible? Like, Elliot, if if you could see a version of you 12 months from now, like, what would be possible if... If, if you just owned the facts of today, we could start to create a future of what you would want. Like, tell me, what would your impossible game look like? And so we start to build out these possibilities of like, well, if we were to change this, this is what could be possible. And so we ground ourselves in today. We identify what is possible. And then it's simply about creating the path to get from the, pe- the pit to the peak. And that path is like these monthly missions, these monthly assessments, these weekly calls, right? These daily tasks. And it's really about just chipping away, right? And not being married to the path, but simply being married to the target of where you want to go.
0: Yeah, that's super powerful. it shares similarities. And obviously one component of yours is where you're at with your body and health, right? And it shares similarities with that. It's like, okay, we've got the bigger picture goal here. Now we need to break it down in terms of what you can achieve on a monthly basis and also what you need to do on a day-to-day basis in order to achieve that. And the big thing that I find the challenge, and I may have picked your brains on this last time, but I want to reinforce this idea is how do we keep all of those plates spinning? I know of high performers, it's like, of course, you can get a baseline. Like for me, I can sustain a relatively good body composition all year round. But if I'm striving to then attempt a marathon or to go to the gym five times a week to improve my bench press or something along those lines, like I'm taking those new stats, with those goals. And I'm also trying to reach new financial numbers. And I'm also trying to be the best partner, son, brother and all those things. How do we keep those sp- plate spinning at such a high level because you hear so many people saying, you know, focusing on five things is going to lead you to be giving 70% in those five things. And focusing on that one thing is allow you to go all in. How do you focus on spinning all those plates and giving your best to all of those as well?
1: Well, the first time you go through this, those plates, they're
0: all going to fall. They're all, they're all going
1: to fall <laughs> to the ground and that's pretty normal, right? When I'm coming to you and I'm asking you to be elite in four different areas of your life. And right now, maybe you are in one, possibly two, Of course, things are going to get really, really messy at first. When it comes to creating these plans and really trying to elevate yourself and become the standard in all four areas, you have to start to create some synergy and some relationships between the two. Like, why is, why is, why is benching 225 relevant? Like, why do you want it? Like, what is it going to get you? Do you just want to have that stat? Well, that's fine, but like, why? Whereas, if it's, well, I want to be in better shape so that I can feel more confident. Well, that confidence is going to carry into your relationships. It's, you're going to have a better sex life with your with your spouse. That confidence is going to impart some knowledge and wisdom and a framework onto your kids. That, that, that confidence is going to carry into your business and you'll probably generate some more revenue. So now we're making connections. And it's like, well, how would you feel confident? Well, I would feel confident if I weighed – you know, 170 pounds and I was able to work out regularly and like we start to develop this plan. And so when you're working out, you're also seeing how that relates to your 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 relationship section and to your business. And so when we can start to create some overlap and some relationships, then you see how what you do in one domain impacts the other domains. How stress management and your connection with your creator and with yourself, your ability to manage that allows you to take on more work at work. Stress management allows you to stay calm with your wife and with your kids. Stress management allows you to get rid of that, probably that midsection, lower your cortisol a little bit. And so it all starts and you can, when you can start to see these relationships, well then as you build your goals, you realize that they're interconnected and that makes taking four plates that are spinning and you're really just spinning one plate and there's just four different items on the plate.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. I've never actually looked at it from that perspective, but you're absolutely right. If you're doing well in any one of them and you can create that link, you're probably doing well in almost all of them to some degree, right? I think the health and fitness one has a big knock on effect. That's always the one that I tell people like, that's why I'm so passionate about people working on it because as the return on investment, just about everywhere, you know, if you're doing well financially, it's amazing, but you might end up you can't pay someone to go to the gym for you. But then again, you can pay for good quality nutrition. You can pay for supplements. You can pay for someone to cook those meals for you. You can pay for a personal trainer or a coach. So in many senses, you're absolutely right. They all have that knock-on effect to each other. I've never looked at it from that perspective, but I like it because it allows people to maybe who don't love fitness as much as maybe you and I do to get integrated into that. And then there's the other people who maybe aren't really making that much money, but then love the fitness or something else. And they can see, ah, well, actually finances unlocks the door to X, Y, or Z, which I also want to succeed in as well. So I like that in the sense of seeing all of those plates as just one collective plate with different portions on each of it as well. And something I'm curious about is the... Length of time it takes to get somewhere. As you mentioned, you know, with this business pursuit, you're not sure about the timeline per se. And becoming the standard, I'm sure, has a very different timeline to just about anyone who's on that path. Do you find that there's a lot of people who get, you know, let's say 50, 60, 70% of the way on that path and then start looking around like, I've gone an incredible distance and I'm looking down it's a very very far way down but it also still looks like a long way up how do you encourage people to keep going during that moment where they feel close but they still don't feel like quite there? there
1: yeah I think a lot of us lose sight of how far we've come and in losing sight of how far we've come we either give up on continuing to go right or we feel like we've already arrived And so in my experience, the best way for us to really ground ourselves is through like a little bit of gratitude. Like, let's go back and look over the last three, six, nine months, and let's see how far you've come. Like, let's go through a series of journaling questions and let's start to really express some gratitude on what we've accomplished. And if we can do that on a regular basis, I try to have my clients do it once a month. Let's express some gratitude towards yourself on how far you've come. That's going to give you the fuel to motivate you to continue to go. And it's also going to ground you in the fact that like, hey, that thing that you were complaining about, that was only three weeks ago. right? You think it was six months ago. It was three weeks ago. So let's just relax on how far we've come because now you're starting to accelerate your results. And so oftentimes when we lose track of how far we've come, we lose track of where who we once were. That either shows up as doubt or that shows up as arrogance. And so the ability to reflect a little bit allows us to kind of close the gap on that. And it allows us to ground ourselves where we are,
0: have some appreciation, but also be humble with what we've done, knowing that there's still work to do. For sure. And do you find that the gratitude thing sometimes doesn't land super well? I know I have clients who they are maybe a little bit harden themselves for how much weight they lost or how much progress they made in the gym this month but then like you said you open them up to where they were three to six months ago and it's light years better yet they still have this idea of like well it's not good enough I'm not reaching my potential I should be here do you have any advice for those people who find that they can express gratitude they can reflect and see how far they've come yet it just doesn't seem to land with them is it a therapy job or is it something that we can do on our own <laughs> it's funny we were talking about my trip out to utah before
1: i got on this podcast and one of the things that we as humans we just have like this innate thing where we are always focused on the destination always a- almost all the time we think that once we get there we'll be happy once we do this that'll be it once we get there the work is over and the destination makes up about one percent of the entire process. And so the reality is, the journey, if we can't start to appreciate the journey, appreciate the work we've done, appreciate how far we've come, no matter what happens, when we get to that destination, we're still going to move the goalpost on ourselves and say it's not enough." And so I encourage my clients, I just look at them and be like, "Listen. We've set these goals and I can almost guarantee you that we're going to get there. But if we get there and we haven't appreciated the work that's done along the way, we're going to get there and that moment is going to fall flat. Like there's not even going to be a response from you. You're going to look at it and you're going to completely dismiss everything you've done, everything you've accomplished. And so part of my responsibility as a coach is to make sure that the journey is something that is landing on them on a regular basis that the journey is something that they're learning to appreciate that where they are in this path is simply allowing them to continue to get to where they want to go. And so that's part of my role and my responsibility. And the reason I do that is because there's been plenty of times where I've climbed the ladder, got to the top and I was like, "Eh, wrong fucking ladder. Right. And it's because it was actually the right ladder, but I never gave myself the grace and the appreciation and the gratitude along the way to like, look and just be like, damn, We've come so far. So I think it's on us as coaches to make sure that we help them see that each step along the way until they start to see it themselves.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And coming back to this concept of becoming the standard, is it realistically an impossible goal based on what you just said? You know, every time that we become the standard, the standard is just going to get higher. So is it becoming the standard, then setting yourself a new standard? Is it kind of a pursuit in a way that we know that we're never really going to reach it, but we kind of want to keep striving for more and more and more. Is that kind of the idea behind it that that there really isn't a finish line? It's just continuously reaching different checkpoints and traveling and traveling and traveling. It's really up to you. What
1: do you want? Because what I've found is that in becoming the standard, there's always a spot in our lives that we're asleep to. Like the life I'm living right now. At one point I was asleep to all of this. I didn't even know this was possible. And then either through trauma or pain or something, I woke up to what was possible. And in waking up to what was possible, I was like, all right, well, now I need to start to figure out how to get the skill sets and the mindsets that I need and the resources in order for me to achieve what I see is now as possible. So I start to get those and then I take those and I put those into actions and I'm starting to get some results. And when I get those results, well, then I'm like, all right, well, let me see how fast I can accelerate these results. And so I start to eliminate the things that aren't working. I accelerate the results. And then I all of a sudden, I've ascended to the top of this. I've become the standard. Only to realize that as I'm at the top of this mountain, I'm looking and I can see all these other different peaks that are the potential of where I can go. I can either hang out here or if there's something that I'm calling based on the new perspective that I have. And I go look and I'm like, I want to go that way. And so I go that way only to realize that now I'm at the base of the peak and I'm asleep to what could be possible. And so the cycle just starts over and over again. And when I say that to people, they sound like, well, that sounds like, it, that sounds exhausting. And I go, I go, yeah, it's exhausting if you're climbing the wrong mountain. But when you ask yourself what you want and you're climbing the right mountain, that's why the failures become a little bit easier because, you know, it's just part of it. And when you get to the top and you see what else is possible, you realize that like, you get to this kind of like this, again, this human, like this innate thing where we get to the peak and we're like, well, if I can do this, what else can I do?
0: Yeah. And that's pretty damn attractive. And even though it's exhausting, I think we've all done something in our lives before where it was exhausting. Yet when you get to, let's say the goal or the finish line, whatever that might be, you look back and you say, that was worth it. Whereas there's so many different things that we do in our lives and we look back and it was exhausting and we were like, that wasn't worth it. You know, like, for example, if you're putting yourself into a poor position with your finances or your health, etc., you know, the process of getting yourself out of that hole feels amazing. But looking back, was it even worth it to get yourself there? And that's an exhausting thing. So we have a limited amount of energy. So at least if we have to spend it on someone, let's spend it on something that actually feels worth it when we get to the end of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, my relationship with my wife, that's if This is the perfect example.
1: Like. We, I, I was like, what are we doing here? Like this relationship sucks. Like we were engaged. We called off our wedding. We had to go to couples therapy for two years. I was just like, what the hell? Like, what are we doing? This, this is terrible. I was like, I'm done. And then I realized that like, I'm not done. If I was done, I never would have gone to couples therapy. If I was done, I never would have called off the wedding and then tried to replan it. Like I never would have had that forethought. And so on the day when we got married and she's walking down the aisle, realizing all the work that we had to put in, how hard it was, how exhausting it was, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And it was worth it because she was the right person, it was worth it because that's what I wanted, and it was worth it because everything that we learned along the way has set ourselves up to have a
0: strong foundation in our relationship moving forward. I'm fascinated by this topic and I want to dive in deep into your relationship, talk about couple therapy, talk about all of that stuff. And do you feel that those first two or those first few years, I guess, the two years you were in therapy and everything along those lines, were a necessity to ensure that you guys were bulletproofed enough to take on the challenges of the next stages of your relationship? Because if sometimes looking back, it all seems to... The dots seem to connect, but during that moment, I'm surprised that you didn't look around and think, well, you know, maybe I could have it easier with another woman. You know, maybe this could be much easier and I don't need to be going through two years of couple therapy. I know that you knew when we got to the wedding day, but how did you keep going during those two years of couple therapy when you were looking around and thinking, maybe it could be easier if I I just left? Yeah, I I mean, I had that thought quite a few times. Mm, No doubt. And then I came to the real, yeah. And then I came to the realization
1: that, Um, all of my relationships that I failed in the past have one common denominator and that's me. And so no, no matter if it's this relationship or another relationship, the same problems are going to arise because I haven't fixed what needed to be fixed. I haven't addressed the patterns and the thoughts and the beliefs that were in me that were preventing me from stepping into this relationship fully. And so when I realized that, right, when I had that moment of like, huh. No matter what relationship I'm in, this is going to happen, isn't it? All right. Well, then, do I love her? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, then, I'm going to work on this because I'm tired of doing this. And I think it was that moment, that's that, that, those questioning that I had to ask myself and that self awareness that I had that really allowed me to see the value in couples therapy and commit to that and commit to her. So, it was a hard conversation. But I think in the
0: moment, once I had that realization, that's when I kind of woke, woke up to what was possible. And with that being said, how do you know if it's just work that you need to do, or if that is actually the right person or not? Because you might love someone, you might recognize the faults in yourself, but they might love you, but in a dysfunctional way, but not be willing to do the work on themselves. And it might still end up being the wrong path. So how did did you see the commitment from her and you're like, okay, she's invested. I'm invested. This is going to work because I can imagine I've had this experience in the past as well, keep thinking I needed to work out my stuff, which was absolutely correct, but then eventually realizing that even though I needed to work on my stuff, it still wasn't the right relationship. So I'm wondering how you were able to create that distinction because I think that traps a lot of people. They like put the blame back on themselves and end up staying in the wrong relationship.
1: You have to know your values. And you have to be very clear on what you value in yourself and in a relationship. And one of the exercises I take my clients through is a value clarification exercise. It was given to me, and I've passed it along because it was so powerful and impactful. And so you get to this point where you've identified what is important to you, what you say is important, and then what is actually important. Sometimes those marry up. Sometimes those don't. But when you can reconcile that, and then you can look at the partner and be like, okay, well, they... They are in alignment with my values. They're committed to the relationship. This is simply just about us working through some of our baggage. Cool. I'm in. But if you look at your partner and they don't align with your values and whether they're committed to doing the work or not, right? But if they don't align with your values and what you hold near and dear, you have to have a hard conversation with yourself and you probably have to have a hard conversation with them. And so I think it's really important that we as individuals get clear on our values. And this values are not just for relationships. Values are how we take action on everything that we do in our life, right? The if, Whether we value our health and fitness, right? How we value our business and money, how we value our time. Like Values are really important. And so getting clear on those allows your decision-making to be value-based decision-making, which makes it a lot easier because now
0: it's rooted in your DNA and who you are. Absolutely. And that's just a case of seeing if those values match up and if they respect your values. And I think that that's a real big key, right? Is that fundamentally, you can have different ideas, behaviors, and ways of getting around things. But fundamentally, if you lack the same values or lack respect to each other's values, then there might be a bit of a challenge. You know, someone might have family at the very top of their priority list, and you might have it a little bit lower, and you might have to meet in the middle somewhere. But if someone's like, well, no, I don't care at all about your family or the other way around. I care so much about my family that I'm not willing to do X, Y, or Z, that's where conflict's going to be created. And like I said, I think as a value alignment thing, as well as, as well as expecting some of them to line up, you have to also recognize you're two different individuals trying to have a collective life, and not everything is going to match up. No. I mean, and not everything matches up with me and my wife,
1: right? We have some different political views. We have some different views on raising the children. We have some different views on guns. We have different views on a few different things. And yet we are still together because the majority of things we can agree on. The majority of things were on the same page. And the ones that were not on the same page, we don't point the finger and be like, well, fuck you. You need to come to my side or else this is over. No,
0: we seek to understand, and then we also just agree to not have the same viewpoint, and that's okay. Absolutely. I think there's just got to be that mutual respect. And also, I think we all need to live in a world to recognize that we can have two different opinions and be completely okay with each other, despite those opinions, right? And I think opinions don't make up your character. Your character makes up your character. And I think fundamentally, if we can see through that and recognize First, it's human to human, and then it's behaviors, actions, opinions, and all those other type of things. I think all of us could go a long way with our relationships, our friendships, and just generally seeing eye to eye. So I think that's a larger point as well. But I want to stay on the couple side of things. And I'm curious to get an insight into what you learn in couples therapy. Again, Big call to call off the wedding and uh, to then go in the direction of saying, okay, this needs some work before we do tie the knot. What did that look like? Was there resistance to you going in? Was there resistance for her going in? I, I'm just trying to visualize what that could have looked like.
1: There was a lot of resistance from my wife going into couples therapy. Oh, wow. And uh, I was at my breaking point. I don't I don't know if she was at her breaking point. One of the things, one of the biggest lessons that we took from this Is that working together as a couple and working through things as a couple is going to create a container and a safe space called the relationship. And in that container, when that space feels safe and that space feels like it has a strong foundation and that can look like um, both of you committing to couples therapy, both of you showing up and doing the work, both of you being open and honest, right? that creates a very safe container. That container then prompts individual work because when you create that space here and knowing that the couple, right, is, and we're in a good spot here, that then allows you to go out and back into yourself and do some individual work, right, on yourself and to go deeper on yourself. And so then it becomes these kind of like this three-pronged thing. She was working on herself and individual therapy. I was working on myself and my individual therapy. And then we are coming together as a couple to work on the couple's therapy, and I think to a lot of people that, you know, my even my parents were like, you don't need couples therapy, right? Like that's that's you don't need that. Like maybe you just need to not be with her. I'm like, I get that, but you guys also haven't been exposed to what therapy is like, so you don't really have a accurate assessment of what this is what this is. And so a lot of people, us talking about all the therapy that we were doing, they were like, This seems like overkill. And yet to us it made perfect sense. And so one of the biggest lessons was from that was like You have to work on yourself individually and the work that you do individually will support the relationship. And the work that you do in the relationship simply just creates the space for you to go do and feel comfortable to go deep in on the individual work. And that to me was just like this really harmonious, beautiful relationship between the two.
0: Dude, preach. I love that. And I really think that a relationship is probably one of the best mirrors that you can experience. All of a sudden you have a witness to All of your flaws, your insecurities, all the things that you know you now need to work on and you have someone kind of holding you accountable on a day-to-day basis, whether you like it or not and expecting you to be the best version of yourself and you're expecting them to be the best version of yourself. And that's if you've got a supportive partner, right? There might be other destructive patterns, but ultimately you guys knew you were kind of meant for each other. You knew that you supported each other. You just didn't know how to completely function together. And that's the thing. It's like when you look around, you're like, okay, well, there's no one to hide anymore. Being single is easy or having shallow relationships is easy because of no one's holding me to the standard. No one's holding me to the standard that I should be holding for myself, nor are they holding me to the standard of a relationship. But now I've got someone looking at me and looking at themselves. Like you said, there's no there's no other option than to level up or there's, it's level up or leave. Yeah. And the cre- the greatest part about this, Elliot, is that the more honest Lizzie and I are with
1: each other, and at each level, there's a depth to this honesty and, and, and our truth. Like sometimes your partner can't handle the truth in that season. But as the relationship deepens and creates like some, you know, has some additional depth to it, your ability to speak the truth and to go in on certain topics becomes more possible. And so at every level, you elevate and have deeper,
0: harder conversations. But the partner, either side, has to be ready for it. 100%, man. But that's where some of the best things come out of, right? Like being, that's ultimately what you want from a partner. Like life isn't easy. And it requires those tough conversations because those tough conversations don't happen. Then that's where resentment comes in. That's where unspoken feelings comes in. And that's where, you know, that gets projected into other areas of your life, to your children. And then that's just a whole bunch of trauma that's going to be passed down and no none of us want that right and it's great that you guys had that but a before you Tie the knot and be before you had children as well, which is super, super powerful. So props to both of you for doing the work. And I'm curious, you mentioned one of your big learnings was, you know, essentially go do the work on yourself, so you can, you know, facilitate your partner's work and facilitate the work of the relationship. What are two other pieces of advice that you would have given to Sergio at the very beginning of that relationship? And had you known right now all the things that you know? Ooh, <laughs> some pieces of advice. Um, you don't know
1: everything, Sergio. Even though that you're you've been doing even though you've been in therapy and you've been doing the work on yourself, there is now a whole other half to this conversation. And you need to be open to just the idea that you may not know everything. Right? Because those first few therapy sessions, I was like, ha ha, it's not me, it's her. I've been doing this for four years. This is her first time in therapy. So I'm just I'm good. This is on you, and I'm just gonna highlight all these therapy things. You know, cliche things that I can say. Just impress the therapist. It's like, no, that's not the right way to go about it. I think the other thing is like um, empathy, right? Like everybody is on a different time path to get to where they want to go. And just because I had an aha at therapy does not allow me to expect Lizzie to be on the same page as me. It may take her one or two more sessions. Conversely, she may get something and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so she has to give me grace too. And so it's this this balance of, you know, be empathetic towards your spouse, give them grace because at the end of the day, they're not trying to make your life harder. If they're in that with you, they're honestly committing to you and trying to make it easier. It just may not happen at the pace that you want it to.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. I really do. And another thing that I like that you talk about a lot is dating your wife. And I'm very curious to hear a little bit more about that. A lot of men, and maybe this is a narrative that hopefully you're shifting, and I think a lot of men need to do as well, is to shift the idea that your wife is a chore, a wife is something you put up with, a wife is something that you don't really want to spend much time with. And yet, obviously, then the complaints about terrible relationship and you know all these marriage troubles comes in. You're like, well, where that comes from. But something you preach a lot about is dating your wife. So what has that done for your relationship? And how do you get yourself excited about that as well? Because I'm sure there's many men listening who have been in long-term relationships and they're like, you know, I like to get a break from my wife, let alone go on a date with her. So how are we going to start to reshape that narrative? And where do you see the power of dating coming into that?
1: Yeah, dude, I remember there was probably like, you know, right after we had our kid, uh, Luca, there's probably like six months where Lizzie and I didn't have sex. And then the first time we had sex after that, I was like, this is awkward. I was like, was that awkward for you? She's like, yeah, that was really awkward. And it's just part of it, right? And so that relates, though, to going out on dates, right? If you haven't done it in a while, it's going to feel a little bit awkward, right? But you have to ask yourself, like, if you're constantly thinking that my wife is a chore and I don't want to be around her, then, like, what are we doing in the relationship? We really have to start to ask ourselves this question. And so... If you want to be with your wife and you want to have a uh, a sex life and a connection with your life that instead of being like, oh, I want to get away from her, that like you're stoked to hang out with her. Like Lizzie is my homie. I love going and doing stuff with her. We have a blast together, but it is a mutual effort. And so I just started to plan dates and the dates were something that I wanted to do. At first it was just, hey, I want to go do this thing. I would love for you to join me. And so she would come and no matter what, I was having fun and simply be me having fun. She was having fun. And so I started to realize like, oh, at some point, like all I wanted to do was impress Lizzie. Now, at the beginning of the relationship, I wanted to impress her because I liked her, but I also wanted to sleep with her. Right. So like that was at the forefront of my mind in the beginning. And then it's funny how like as I'm in the relationship even further, I want to impress her and I still want to sleep with her. And so it's just like, well, let's have fun with it, right? Like, why not go do fun things? And like, I get to plan the date, right? And we get to go out and do fun things and we get to talk about it. And then she gets to plan a date and surprise me. And so it becomes this game. And so a lot of guys are not planning dates with their wives because, right, it's not reciprocated right up front. And I would just challenge them, like, plan multiple dates, become the standard of what it is to go on dates with your wife until you become so good at it that she's like, well, hell. I want to return the favor.
0: Man, I like that a lot. And also, I like the idea of doing stuff that you enjoy. And that might not be taking her to the ball game on the first date. You know, it might be thinking a little bit more mutually because of, I think that quite often the idea of a date is, okay, let's sit at a table opposite each other when we haven't actually spoken to each other properly for so long and like you said it's probably going to be awkward you're probably gonna have to break the ice, and maybe you both aren't going to enjoy it initially however if you go and do something like an activity that neither of you done before or you do an activity that maybe one of you has done before and you've got an idea that she or he might like it I have a feeling that you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some laughs. There might be a little bit of discomfort, but it's probably going to be far more comfortable than sitting on opposite sides of the table from each other, trying to create even more small talk than you have to create at home already.
1: Yeah. And one of our rules that we have is that we leave our phones in the car, right? Lizzie has to bring, I leave my phone in the car. Lizzie brings hers in case the babysitter calls. And then I also bought this card deck and it's a hundred questions uh, that you get to ask your partner. And so if we're, you know, at, at a bar and we're like, you know, just hanging out, like we'll pull out a card and it'll be like, tell me about your favorite memory as a kid. And so Lizzie will start to talk about that. And I'll be like, well, why was that? Like, you know, and we start to learn each other about like things in our past that maybe we'd never brought up that these cards are prompting. And then she'll come back and we'll start talking. And before you know it, it's been an hour and a half and we've gotten through one question that just kind of started to, you know, spider web out. And so that's a really easy way that when the small talk feels off and you don't know what to talk about, you know, bring some cards in. There's a reason I bring toys into the bedroom. I don't want to do all the work. Right. So I bring cards on dates to kind of help with facilitate some of the conversation. And I make light of this because it, it's listen, it's all just fun. It's with the person you love. Just have fun with it.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love the idea of like continuing to be curious as well and continuing to be interested in getting to know that story. I remember being at a barber some time ago and we were talking about the holiday and I was like, "Ah, oh, what type of holiday are you going on? He's like, "Ah, oh, we're just going to like go from this country to this country. You know, we don't want anything like this just by the side of the pool he's like we've been together for 10 years now we've got nothing left to talk about and I was like what a horrendous idea of a relationship he's like literally we have nothing left to talk about I was like it doesn't make me feel super optimistic about that 10 years but at the same time like you can never fully get to know yourself so imagine another partner who you've not lived their life and I love the idea of the card because it's going to probably bring up a question that might not be in the forefront of your mind and allows you to dig deep and also allow them to talk about themselves which is probably going to light them up even more and fill them with excitement to actually talk about the topic, which is going to make them far more interesting. I can't see anything bad from that knock-on effect of asking the right question and having a little bit of sport doing it as well.
1: 100%. I mean, and listen, Lizzie and I started dating when I was 35. I have
0: 35 years without
1: her. There's plenty of things we can talk about. I just have a responsibility to bring some of those things up and those cards prompt it, conversations prompt it, and then it's simply just being curious. And what I love about it is that When you walk out of those dates and you've learned something new about your spouse, those can be, like, gift ideas. Those can be new date ideas. Those can be new trip ideas. Those can be a different way of interacting with them that you know they're going to love. Like, it opens up a lot.
0: Dude, I love it. I think it's amazing advice. And now I want to give a little bit of advice for those who are single right now looking to attract the partner of their dreams. I'm curious to get your take on if you were back to being a single man or maybe this is you in the past as well, what type of things would you focus on as a man or woman who's looking to attract their dream partner who isn't quite in a relationship yet? What type of things could they be doing to become the version of themselves that they want to be ahead of bringing someone special into their life? I think it kind of comes back to this value conversation.
1: Like, what do you... Value and what do you want in a relationship? Like, get really clear on that. And then I think it's, it's about doing the activities, doing the things where you believe you're going to find that individual, where you just increase the likelihood that you're going to run into somebody like that. And then vocalizing some of those things that you want in somebody else and that you're open to dating to people in your life. Let them go do some of the work for you. I'm not opposed to Bumble and Tinder and Match. Like, I get that. But you have to understand that's a numbers game. And in reality, like, I think that makes our lives too small. Like, if I could go back, and I think this is what I did, is, like, go create experiences for yourself doing the things that you want to do, trying new things, and then be open to conversations with people that are there. If there's one thing that I could tell men or women, shoot your shot. People always say, well, I don't want to be creepy towards that girl. If you're saying that, you're probably not a creep. Only creeps say, creeps don't say that and they act creepy. So go talk to the girl, right? And as a girl, what I think is like, especially with women on the rise, which I love, shoot your shot. If you want to go talk to the guy, go talk to the guy. There's no rules anymore. You might think there are, but there's not.
0: Yeah. I think I've been hearing a lot when I listen to kind of just general Uh, socializing the topics in terms of podcasts and everything like that right now. And there's so many women who would love to be approached in a coffee shop or something like that in a kind of low stakes environment where someone can just come over and be like, hey, do you want to grab a coffee? Right. It doesn't have to be anything too complicated. And same goes for men as well. The amount of men that I've, I've never met a man in my life who said, I wouldn't want to be approached by a woman who... I might not even be interested in it at the time but like even if I'm not super interested in it, it doesn't go anywhere it's going to do wonders for my ego I don't have to let her down in a bad way either so I think like you said lowering the barriers around that and giving each other permission to actually speak to each other and create those opportunities is unbelievably powerful and I think that yeah we there's a heavy reliance on tinder and bumble and although that these apps can be fantastic I actually met my girlfriend on tinder funny story I can tell you that in the future and it's all worked out amazingly well but I still had to shoot my shot I still had to take the the opportunity and the interesting part of that is that we actually never spoke on the app it was one moment where we matched when I really uh, downloaded the app just because I, I had it off my phone for a while and literally on that same night we met you know we kind of brought it off the app as soon as possible and I think that that was both of us saying okay this is an opportunity let's take it right now and you know here we are like on the on the verge of getting engaged so it can be a happy ever after as long as you give yourself a chance of it I love that Elliot that's that's amazing like Good for you. And I think you just have to be open to what is like, don't put, don't
1: put these rules on like, Oh, it has to be this way or, you know, it's only if I meet them here that it's going to work. It's like, don't limit yourself. Get clear on what you want. Don't waver too far on that. Like what's truly important to you. And then just be open, like be open to what is and get your head out of your damn phone. Like when you're in public, get your head
0: out of your fucking phone and start talking to people. I love that. And I love the idea of like not having the expectation because for me, it was like, I'm going to meet someone in this spontaneous. So it was actually the opposite of what, we just spoke about. It's like, I'm gonna meet someone in a spontaneous way. We're gonna approach each other in a coffee shop or in an experience. And it happened to me in the exact opposite way in which I expected to. However, if I closed myself off from that opportunity, I would have never had the opportunity to do that. So as you've mentioned, I think it's just kind of letting go of those expectations trusting in the energy that you're putting out. And as long as you're leveling yourself up, trust that you will attract just as much as you're giving off. And I think that that's the big advice that I give to a lot of people as well is that open yourself to those opportunities and also be ready for when those opportunities come. Yeah. And this kind of comes back to exactly what I said at the beginning about working with my clients, identify the facts and the truth of where you are today. Get clear on what you want. Just let go of the path. Sergio, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I'm sure I'm going to have you on in the future for round three, four, five, six and seven. But dude, thank you so much for coming on once again. And obviously we popped your Instagram in the bio last time we spoke. Is there anywhere you want to direct people if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing and becoming the standard? Stick to Instagram. That's where everything's
1: going to be at. Perfect.
0: I'm excited to get this out and get this to the world. And I'm sure that they're going to look forward to seeing more that's coming from you in the coming weeks and months, Sergio. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Always appreciate your time, brother. Dude, thank you. You have a good day. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from and go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have, so reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.